Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Oh my God, Aaron. Okay, listen, 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 Aaron. Normally, I would start by being like, "Welcome to Confidently Insecure, the podcast where we're absolutely sure we don't." Know. And I go through this whole intro, but like, I'm throwing all of that away because we have way fucking too much to talk about. I'm going off my regular path. This is an episode that I'm so fucking excited for. So let me barrel through your introduction. You guys, confidants, this is going to be a very good, important episode for your ears. This week's guest is Aaron Cabal, an evidence-based pain and rehab clinician and board certified chiropractor who prioritizes self-management and patient empowerment to serve as a guide. It's about working with you, not on you. He got his doctorate of chiropractic degree from Northwestern Health Sciences University and is the founder of the Twin Cities Rehab and Performance. He's debunking other chiropractic videos on TikTok and Instagram. Aaron, you are a chiropractor who like doesn't believe in chiropractic. I guess, I guess that's, this is definitely the most excited anyone has ever been to talk to me in my life. I don't think anybody's ever greeted me with that much energy. So this feels great. I hope this, uh, you know, I hope more people do this when they, when they meet me, but I'm really excited to talk about all this stuff. This is awesome. You, you deserve every ounce of it because when I found your TikTok, I binged every single (laughs) video you have made. And I was like, holy shit, this guy is, I have to imagine like the martyr of debunking chiropractic work, because I think to start, we can start with the world of chiropractors being very polarizing. People either like 100% believe in them or think they're all crocs of shit. Like, why is there such a gap in people's feelings about chiropractic? Yeah, well, I think I think the way people feel about us is actually a direct reflection of like the state of the profession itself because public perception is very polarized, just like the differences in individual practitioners just throughout the profession is very polarized. I mean, you literally, the spectrum of chiropractor that exists, especially in the United States, like it's different around the world. Um, but in the United States, particularly, you have a spectrum that on one end, you have people, um, maybe more like myself, who are just trying to, um, you know, stick to what the clinical practice guidelines are saying and offer people guidance through pain situations, help them get back to the things they've been missing out on. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, it's people claiming to, you know, cure cancer and ADHD by cracking people's backs and whatever else is, I mean, I, now that I've been on TikTok for over a year, I feel like I've seen everything and more as far as what exists on that end of the spectrum. So it's a pretty broad existence. Um, and it's a very confusing Mm -hmm. profession, which is why I think the public is very confused about us a lot of the time. Man, what, 
about okay like i'm just gonna dive in because normally i'd be like what got you into chiropractic and like all this shit where i'm like i don't care i have answer i have questions that i need answers to (laughs) so why are you a chiropractor that doesn't believe or maybe doesn't believe isn't the word but like doesn't do cracking yeah well um so i i really value scientific evidence i think i think that's just part of the job if you're gonna work in the field of healthcare and people are trusting you with their body and their money um, and their well-being, like you should probably base a lot of your approach off of good, rigorously conducted science and you should be self-critical and you should, I mean, the best way to make sure that you're delivering the best quality care is to always reflect on yourself and say, is what I'm doing actually doing what it's supposed to? Is this harmful in any way? And, And all of these things, like these are the questions that I was constantly asking myself as a student, because when I was going through, I was like, what the fuck is going on in this building right now? Because I, I, I grew up seeing a chiropractor, but he was very similar to myself um, as, as a clinician right now. And that he didn't do a lot of weird stuff. So that was my, that was my whole impression of chiropractic. And I didn't know anything beyond that. And then me being kind of an idiot went into school, not looking any deeper than that. I just assumed all chiropractors did what this guy did. And it wasn't until I got into school that I started seeing all the interesting approaches out there. And then as far as like, why do I take this approach? Um, I think, you know, like there is, you can crack backs and there's room for it. Um, it just depends on the narrative that you give. Like, I don't really actually have a problem with mm-hmm. back cracking or spinal manipulation. I have a problem with a lot of the ways it's explained to patients. Like we're realigning your spine or we're moving joint mm-hmm. restrictions or changing something magical or physical about you or releasing your human potential or some other bullshit like that. Um, as long as we take all that out and we're not saying those things to people, um, that we're delivering that service to, and we're just saying, Hey, like this might feel good. And it kind of pretty much just starts and ends there. Then I have no issue with it. The only reason I don't do it myself is because I'm online only. I only work with, um, patients online, mainly persistent pain. Um, and I do all of that virtually. So I don't crack backs because I can't crack you through the computer screen, but, um, yeah, so that's that's kind of why why I work the way I work. And I'm so glad you brought up like the rigorous science because I'm I've been someone that's been going to a chiropractor since I was like 10 years old, no joke. Like mm-hmm. they were just family friends. They were like always recommended to me from PTs. I played a lot of sports growing up. Like I, there was no you know, con- there was no warnings about chiropractors. It was yeah. so sure. And like, there was no science being taught to me behind what was happening. And so I'm glad you brought up like, in your TikToks, you're always citing these articles behind you when you do your TikToks. So, so basically, my question is like, who is writing these? And why aren't they more widely known if they're debunking so much of what chiropractic work does? Well, the funny part is, is like, I make the videos and I cite the papers. Um, and I, and I kind of communicate that information to the general public, but a lot of the papers I cite that debunk some of the biggest myths about chiropractic are written by chiropractors. Um, and so I always find it very funny (laughs) where the people within the profession who are very upset with me for like sharing all this stuff, I'm like, look, I'm don't shoot the messenger. Like (laughs) I'm just reading the studies. I wish the results were different. Like I wish back cracking was this amazing, effective treatment. You know how many hours in training I got? In back cracking, if it was such an incredible treatment that could do all these amazing things that some chiros claim, I'd be a fucking millionaire. 
I'd be rolling in it. I'd be over at the mall right now, setting up shop next to the Sabaro, just yeah. cracking them by the hundreds. If it was this miracle <laughs> treatment, I would love it if that was true. But the more we read and the more we look into it, it's just not the case. So there, there's papers that I cite that are from actual chiropractors. Mm-hmm. I cite a lot of papers um, that are published by physical therapists. It's a lot of just people, um, researchers within the musculoskeletal, conservative musculoskeletal pain management space. But um, yeah, so it's, it is, it is kind of funny to point out cause I don't really talk about that a lot of my videos, but like, yeah, everybody's like, Oh, he's the renegade Cairo on TikTok, you know, criticizing his own profession. I'm like, Hey, like our profession is producing a lot of the studies I cite. So, um, you know, it's not right. quite as controversial maybe as it, it may appear. I think sometimes. Well, you make it so accessible to see like right away why you're saying what you're saying is true. Like you're just not like some jaded, angry, like, (laughs) I mean, maybe you are jaded and angry because so many chiropractors are like spouting bullshit (laughs) and like we can talk about that. Yeah. But it's very easy for anyone to see what that's the article you're mentioning and citing and like go do the research for themselves, which I feel like is very empowering. And that's like part of your mission statement is empowering us to know what these guys are telling us and not take it with, you know, take it with a grain of salt. If he's claiming to be like, exactly what you said, realigning your spine, which you so beautifully already said this leading into my next question, which was, I put this in all capitals of like, what do you mean a chiropractor can't and isn't changing the alignment of my spine when he cracks my back and has been telling me that since I've been 10 years old? Yeah. (laughs) That is, uh, that's like, that myth is like the bane of my existence because like, there's a lot of health myths out there, right? Like in in a lot of professions, but if I were to like, just, if you were to list them all out and say, which of these has had the most negative impact on like the human race as a whole, I honest to God think it's this like realign the spine threw my back out. Spine is this flimsy, fragile you know, made of paper structure. Mm-hmm. I think that might be the most damaging one because just we as a society have become mm-hmm. so overprotective and overly cautious about what we will and we won't allow our spines to do. And the thing about being overprotective and avoiding a lot of different things is you tend to not have a very high tolerance for the things that you intentionally avoid all of the time. Like if I, I just mm-hmm. did a video, um, kind of pointing out if I never go out in the sunlight ever, and I'm probably not going to have a super high tolerance for like the light of day, whether it's from how it affects, like how it feels on my eyes versus my skin, all these different things. So, um, and because of a lot of these narratives, especially that spine one, like the fact that we have to realign you with our hands to fix you, um, really gets people feeling so overprotective about their back that like it changes the way that they move. It changes the activities they'll involve themselves in, changes the way people perceive themselves and how capable they feel to do all of the things they need to do in their lives. And it's incredibly, incredibly damaging. I mean, and you mentioned earlier, like jaded and angry and like I could come across this way um, in videos if I was one way. The thing is like, I am jaded and angry because what people don't realize a lot on my social media is I am in clinical practice. I have my own online practice. I don't spend my day making TikToks. That's like, you know, probably three hours on the weekend. That's when your I make wind them all down involved. exercise. It is. Yeah. I spend my days all day, yeah. every day talking to people living with persistent pain. The reason I'm jaded and angry is because every single day 
I listen to stories about how some of these myths and some of the information and bad advice they've been given about musculoskeletal pain has like, honestly, I don't even think it's an exaggeration to say ruined some of their lives. So like when I get pissed off and when I'm making a bunch of videos that might give the perception to people that I'm like, you know, this angry, bitter, uh, Cairo just makes videos in his basement to undermine the professional day. I am a little angry and bitter. Like I feel horrible. It does give some people those vibes though. And the reason is because like I Mm. care so much about how this stuff affects people. And Mm. I talk to people who it has ruined every single day, all day long. That's what I spend my time doing. And it's so tragic to see because it's entirely avoidable. So I know that was a deviation from the question, but back to it. um, What do I mean when I say it doesn't realign your spine? It just doesn't. I mean, it's what spinal manipulation actually (laughs) is. the, The way that it can kind of be explained, I think in a more accurate way is think about if you have a sore throat, you take a cough drop, right? You don't expect that cough drop to like speed up the time it would take for your sore throat to go away or to cure your sore throat. You expect it to give you like, you know, maybe take the edge off for like half an hour or so. That's kind of how spine manipulation fits in within the management of back pain. It doesn't cure anything. It doesn't fix anything. It really doesn't change anything significant physically about you. Um, it, it's more of just, I would, I use the term symptom modification. So it just, you felt one thing, you mm-hmm. did something to it. It changes the way you feel for a short amount of time, um, at most. And then, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of it. Take the edge off, like, like a cough drop for a sore throat. And for some people it just doesn't help at all, but that's kind of the, the beginning and the end as far <laughs> yeah. as what people need to know about what's going on and what it actually does. Man, there is a lot said there, and I want to <laughs> highlight some of what you just mentioned of like, it's not that it doesn't maybe feel good for some people right. or that it doesn't do something, but we're talking about the long lasting changes that a man often, I don't know that I've ever had a woman chiropractor, a man is, so I'm going to use man in this sentence, a man (laughs) is claiming to be able to reshape and reform your spine with his bare fucking hands, which just isn't possible with bone. That's not how bones work because if they did, we'd all be like Harry Potter in the, the, where he gets his bones regrown with that potion because his arms are all squiggly squaggly. Like we are just so much stronger and our skeleton is formed because of habits and patterns and muscles that we make and that's not what's being addressed 99% of the time when we're going to chiropractors. Is that safe to say, Aaron? The only caveat I'd throw in is because as somebody who is trying to give a lot of info to people with persistent pain, a really important group within that community to always recognize and, and acknowledge is people with uh, EDS or Ehlers-Danlos syndrome because they, they'll hear me say like, we mm. can't realign your spine because it doesn't go out of alignment and we're not that flimsy. And they'll be like, well, dude, because Ehlers-Danlos is a connective tissue disorder where people actually have frequent yes. subluxations. And I think it's very under-recognized and very, it's a very dismissed community because um, I think it's really poorly understood. Mm. I, I could go for hours about that. I won't, but mm. all, all I want to say about that is for them saying, okay, well, if you're not realigning things or things don't just fly out of place like that, what about us? Um, for them, I would say 
Mm. I, I would still contend the spine is probably not going out of place. It, it's still, even with people with connective tissue mm -hmm. disorder, it's such a stable structure. That's probably not the case. A lot of people with Ehlers-Danlos live with persistent pain, which can really give you some pretty wild symptoms. And it can feel like your spine's out of place. It can feel like something's being put back mm -hmm. in. Um, I would still say that is more of a nervous system thing and less of a structure thing. And I don't say that to be dismissive. I say it to be reassuring mm -hmm. um, just because I want people to understand mm -hmm. that they're just, a lot of the time, they're not falling apart. They might have subluxations in other areas, more peripherally in their arms or legs. Um, I would assure them, though, it's probably not happening at the level of their spine or their SI joint or anything like that, even though there, there's the perception of, of things like that. Um, it's very, very unlikely that that's the case. I think that's important to point out too. Whew. And we love to point that out here because we are a huge Spoonie community. I myself live yeah. with chronic pain. I have trigeminal neuralgia and anesthesia delirosa, which is a nerve th thing, but I'm actually seeing, I think a friend of, of yours on TikTok as most recently as two weeks ago, as like a, a pain management therapist who's helping me understand even if there is nerve irreversible injury and nerve damage, which are all words that I'm trying to like get out of my vocabulary mm. the nervous system and like mindset has so fucking much to do with your body's ability and understanding to get better. And I'm, yeah. I don't know if I had mentioned this offline, but I'm writing my second book about chronic pain and holy fucking shit. There just isn't enough emphasis on the changing of brain and speaking the way we speak to people with chronic pain. And mm -hmm. I've seen from the videos you review of the way chiropractors so open it so flimsily say things like your disc is bulging. And then we go, my disc is bulging. What the fuck? Or they show us this on an x-ray or something. And we're like, Oh my God, there's something wrong with us. And once you see that, the damage is done to be able to reverse that belief is so hard. And that's what I'm going through personally right now. And I can't even imagine how people with EDS must feel when there is, there is a diagnostic issue that any one thing someone says to you can prolong the pain or, and it doesn't mean it's not real. Like that's my biggest, you know, content disclaimer is like that doesn't mean pain the pain isn't fucking real but we are so loose with how we talk about our bodies and chiropractors especially are so loose with the terminology like do you find yourself be speaking differently when talking and addressing like a patient's I put <laughs> I put more thought in like I feel like a crazy person sometimes because of just how much I'm constantly thinking about and changing the ways that I try to verbalize and say things. I think communication is far and away the most important part in delivering healthcare, at least in my job. And I, I mean, it's hard. I fucking suck at it. I've, I screw up with my communication with patients every <laughs> single day. Um, and the reason I'm so hyper aware of that is because there's a ton of amazing um, published studies that talk about how damaging we are to people with musculoskeletal aches and pains, um, with our words and mm -hmm. actually like there's, there's literally papers, mm -hmm. um, that are talking about how some percentage of chronic back pain, which a lot of people have is partially iatrogenic, meaning clinician caused, meaning the doctor, because of the way they communicated things, because wow. of the things they said to the people yes. early on in management, 
that's the partly partially the reason that it's a chronic problem. Like there's whole studies dedicated to pointing out how we have a hand in causing a lot of this. And it's not even because like we went in and surgically fucked something up. It's not a structural thing. It's because of bad advice and because of how we say things to people and how we make them feel about and perceive their bodies. And there's, I think the most, the most dramatic example of this I've seen, there's an amazing paper, 2013, Ben Darlow, uh, literally, I think it's titled like the lasting impact of the things physicians or clinicians say to people with back pain. And the most just striking example, uh, towards the end of the paper, it talks about, there's a woman, um, who is told the classic myth about back pain. It's that it's, she has a weak core. Your back hurts because your core is weak. Your core is so weak, Mm. um, which is a myth, a huge myth. And I've talked about it in a lot of videos, but she was told this so many times, so repeatedly by so many different physical therapists and, and providers and given so many exercises for her weak core, weak core, weak core. She became so unconfident in her core's ability to do mm. anything because of how many times she was told it's, it's the cause of her back pain and it's that weak. Um, she got pregnant and towards the end of the pregnant or not towards the end, but at some point in the pregnancy, um, really became unconfident that she would have a strong enough core or torso to be able to deliver the child and had an abortion because she was fearful for the child's life and her own life because of how weak she'd been made. I mean, this is literally in a paper published, like that's her quantitative experience with that kind of narrative. So like, I can't, I can't possibly overstate the amount of damage that we're actually capable of doing with the words we say to people and how we explain things, especially and what's crazy too is like Shit. the way we're retooling these explanations and the things I'm saying, partially I have to retool it because um, they are damaging, but it's also have, needs to be retooled because a lot of them are just fucking flat out wrong. Like it's not like, it's not like we're changing mm-hmm. them and saying, yeah, they're right, but they hurt people because of how they make them feel. So we have to change it. It's like, no, they're fucking incorrect and they hurt people. That, like that it's a two pronged issue. It's not like we're changing <laughs> things just because we want to make people feel better. We're literally incorrect, and we and we're hurting right. people. That's a that's a big thing to add as well. I know there's a lot there, but no, I this is literally why you're here. I always love to reference, and the confidants are probably sick of me referencing this book that I'm constantly going back to, which is The Way Out. Oh and yeah, they. Uh, what is it, Alan? Uh, Alan. The, the Boulder. What's his name? Alan. I I'm always totally think blanking. of his partner's name. It's a very simple name. Um, a- Alan, you know, the it way out. Alan. Alan Gordon. Alan there it Gordon. is. There it is. That's it. Yeah. Uh, he. They reference uh, often the Boulder back pain study. And I know mm. you've talked a lot about a similar study where it's like the majority of people have irregularities in their skeletons and the way that they're shifted and discs and spines and it's like i always go back to like okay you know that skeleton figure that everyone had in their science classroom that was on wheels and they would always put like sunglasses on it and roll it around and stuff it's like (laughs) we have the standard agreement that like this is what a skeleton is but why are we why are we making every single person believe that that is what our skeleton is supposed to look like. And you must do these chiropractic treatments, tense treatments, PT, all of this stuff to achieve this skeleton. Like, why do we have one skeleton map for every person in the world? 
Yeah. Well, you know what's crazy about that? That's I've never thought about like the actual models that we wheel around in classrooms. They should fucking remake those and put like bulge discs in the spine, and they should put like um, quote unquote degenerative changes on the on the vertebral. But like they should change those because that is what a normal spine looks like. It doesn't look like a perfectly even. Every fucking vertebrae looks great. Like that's not what people look like. And my favorite thing right. to point out to people too is um, they did a study. The twin spine study. It's super famous. So they, they took, t- they took twins, right? Mm. And cause there's always the model. Everybody's heard wear and tear. Like, um, you know, you, you're hurt now or you're hurting now because of the things you chose to do early in life and the damage that you've accumulated over time on your joints and things. It's wear and tear type damage. That's it's, they almost, the narrative suggests that like mm. you're to blame for your pain, which is fucking horseshit and drives me crazy. <laughs> Um, but that's, that's an old model wear and tear, right? And that's really fallen out of favor, um, in a lot of the new research in the last couple decades, because this twin spine study, if it's a wear and tear model, if you have two people, right, they're twins. So they got the same genetics and one of them is like an office worker, works at a desk all day, um, a lot of computer stuff. And then the other one is a, you know, real blue collar, like factory worker type lifestyle, right? So just with those two people, you would expect the factory worker type guy to have more wear and tear over time. So they asked that as a research question. And then they followed twins who have very, very different lifestyles. And they scanned their back over time over the course of, I don't know if it was like 20 years or whatever. Um, And so obviously you would expect the one who's using their body for their job every single day, putting tons of quote unquote wear and tear on it all day, every day you would expect that they would have a worse looking spine on the scan and more pain. And what they found was that for all the sets of twins, despite the dramatically different lifestyles, the amounts of degeneration, wear and tear, bulges, all those things that we scare people about, they look the same. Even though one put dramatically more quote unquote wear and tear on their spine than the other, they had the same amounts of changes, suggesting that this isn't a wear and tear thing at all, it's genetic and age related. It's normal to have those things. And those things on a scan are not predictive of current or future back pain. In some cases they can be, you know, a small contributing factor, but the majority of the time it just doesn't tell, I can't look at 20 scans of people's spines and guess which ones have pain and which ones don't based on what I see. It's not a strong enough predictor for me to be able to do that. So yeah. We're getting it wrong a lot. And like always going back. Yeah. Like always going back to, I don't think you will ever fix the pain in your back. If you are not addressing the brain part of the pain, yeah. which is the environmental factors, the stressors, all that shit, which yeah. we talked to your lovely friend, Dr. Rachel's Offness about for two episodes. A oh, weeks she's ago, amazing. So definitely if you're wondering what I'm talking about. Yes, she is. We, I just absolutely adore her. She's so great. She's someone who's also very like science-based and is like, yep. these are the facts. You can't argue with these facts because don't shoot the messenger. Um, I want to go back to one of my first questions I had about like physically what is happening during a crack that a chiropractor does that makes some people feel good Mm -hmm. or is it sort of psychosomatic too? Well, that it's, it's tricky. So let's take, so for acute back pain, let's, let's use that as an example. So acute just means a new episode. Like you haven't had back pain before or you have before, but not in a really, really long time. And it's a new aggravation, right? Um, so usually in most cases, the thing about acute back pain 
is they tend to resolve themselves within within six to eight weeks. Can happen in two weeks, can happen in six, but it's usually within that kind of time frame. But when we look at research on like comparing all of the popular treatments within chiropractic and physical therapy for back pain and seeing, you know, if any of them actually have an effect on that recovery time, do they speed it up? They make you recover faster. Talking back cracking, exercise, acupuncture, like all the classics, right? None of them speed up natural history. If you look at a graph with all those treatments together and one of the lines on the graph is also just no treatment at all, they all still follow the same pattern of recovery. It doesn't speed up the process. Mm. So when we take that into consideration, we have to realize that it's very, very possible a lot of the times that some of the outcomes and some of the effects we see from back cracking aren't actually because of the treatment at all. Sometimes it's just the passage of time in these acute new episode type cases. Like mm. somebody gets back pain and you know they're like, ah, it'll go away. They wait two weeks, they're still sore. They schedule an appointment with the Cairo, go through the initial visit, uh, go through the treatment plan. Now they're on week three. They go through one week of getting their back cracked. They're now they're on week four. And then maybe they go for another week. That puts you at week five. Like by that point, you might be just days away from this being gone completely on its own. And it might have right. nothing to do with the treatment you're receiving and everything to do with, no, five weeks have now passed since this started. So that's the first thing that we have to really communicate a lot to the public is, like natural history and regression to the mean, um, they're very positive for a lot of musculoskeletal stuff. And we need to have a respect for that. And clinicians need to communicate that very honestly and openly because we don't want patients giving undeserved credit and building a reliance upon treatments that might not actually be responsible for the effects that they're experiencing. And then for chronic back pain, like the other thing that seems to be at play here is when we compare a lot of these like hands-on interventions, whether it's like massage or uh, spinal manipulation or, or acupuncture or like a TENS unit, they all kind of have different mechanisms and they all do different stuff, but they all seem to have the same types of effectiveness and the same results for a lot of the conditions that we treat, which kind of leads us to believe, especially when they're compared to sham, by the way, when they're compared to placebo treatments in these trials, they tend to not outperform the placebo. Like they tend to have the same result as the mm -hmm. placebo. So what that tells us is that another thing that might explain some of the good experiences people have, they're like, no, back cracking, it's, I swear by it. it. It really helps me so much. A lot of that probably has to do with contextual factors. So remember you're talking about like the role of the brain in, in pain. Mm -hmm. Well, the brain has a role in, in recovery yeah. too, in pain relief. And so what I mean by contextual factors, what seems to drive some of these outcomes is you're in, you're in a doctor's office talking to someone you perceive as an expert. Maybe you have a really good relationship and rapport with them. You're really bought into the idea of the treatment. You have a bunch of friends who have reported positive experiences with the treatment. It makes a lot of sense to you. It seems like it's going to fix whatever it is you perceive the problem to be. Um, you know, all of those types of things, all of that context around it, those influence pain and they influence pain decrease as well. I mean, context really changes everything. So, I think a lot of that, when people have like these experiences, like it was a miracle cure, it took my pain from my body. I would chalk a lot of that up to contextual factors that are involved. And then also, so like, again, positive expectations of things. And then also the passage of time. That's kind of, it's no, but none of that is unique to back cracking. Like that can be applied to every treatment. So that's, that's kind of how I would look at that. 
Man, I it's so I before I found you, like literally days before I found you on TikTok, I signed up at my local chiropractic like um uh what's it called? Like um a chain my chain chiropractor place because it's definitely a chain and they they do like memberships and like monthly payments. Wow. I had paid for 2 months worth and I cannot get my money back cuz I was like I don't want to I don't need this anymore never mind. Confidant, sober girlies, are you looking to cut back or cut out alcohol this year? Come on, join me and Zach on our sober journeys. Recess Zero Proof craft mocktails are the perfect alcohol replacement. We've recreated the cocktails you know and love, like a lime margarita and a grapefruit paloma, so you can enjoy the flavors and feelings of those cocktails without the booze. That's right. Zero proof, zero compromise. Listeners can get 15% off the recess mocktail sampler at takearecess.com slash Kelsey. Each can is lightly sparkling mocktail infused with functional ingredients like so many stress balancing adaptogens made with real fruit and only 25 calories or less. It's a guilt-free way to unwind. Whether you're relaxing after work or hanging out with friends, make recess mocktails your drink between drinks or like me, your forever mocktail. I am so obsessed with the ginger lime mule and also the grapefruit paloma for spring. It's my favorite go-to weekend drink. Get 15% off recess mocktails now at takearecess.com slash Kelsey so you can enjoy your favorite cocktails without the consequences. Now I know what you're thinking, Kelsey, when did you become obsessed with cowboy boots? Well, did you forget that I was raised in Florida? Are you forgetting I'm a little country girl by heart? I even wore my Tacovas recently when I went on a ski trip with my family to Colorado. I wore my white Tacovas when I went to the Taylor Swift concert. And if you didn't think you would need cowboy boots anytime soon, uh, might I remind you that Beyonce just dropped her little country album and you're going to need some Tacovas. Tacovas is my favorite boot brand and they're bringing a fresh perspective to hair boot making. So they've carried forward all the time-honored traditions and quality you find in a great pair of cowboy boots, but they've innovated on comfort, style, and service. Their Western boots for men and women are handmade from the most premium leathers with over 200 time-honored individual steps. And Tacova's is Western to their core, offering a bunch of other head-to-toe Western staples, trucker jackets, the perfect jeans to go with your boots, performance pearl snaps, cowboy hats, bandanas, you name it, and they'll get you outfitted. If you can't make it to one of their stores, Tacovas delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com and point your toes west. And they're like, sorry, you have, you already, we can't like refund you your money unless there's a dire circumstance or whatever. Okay. So I was like, fuck. All right. Well, I guess I'm still <laughs> going to just go because I'm not, I'm not, not believing that psychosomatic and symptom relief isn't helpful for some people. Like by all means, if the best thing to me is like the context of all of what you're saying, if that helps, like amazing, would it be great to not have to pay money for that? Sure. Yes. But like if it's giving you relief fucking yay good for you like fully agree that's great news and that's also yes like neuro it means it's neuroplastic yay 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 yeah 
I'm laughing because like two weeks ago when I went, because I'm like, I'm still going to go and you're going to laugh at me and we will get to this. So don't worry, but you'll see my little cupping marks because I've been having <laughs> such whatever. We'll get there. And I got my, my shoulder, you know, readjusted. I'm making air quotes, readjusted. Mm. Um, I got my shoulder moved on. I got my shoulder placed with hands upon it. And mm. he literally go. he like does it. And then he's like, and you feel better, right? And I was like, well. There's a leading no, question. No, <laughs> it's still it still hurts like that. I don't really think it did anything. And he's like, well, you're probably adjusting and you know, the muscles around it are pulling. So it, it'll be relieved. Um, your muscles will loosen up around it. And then it, like God's good divine timing went to your Insta uh, TikTok, and you were talking about literally your, someone can't loosen your muscles by pushing on them. And I want to make sure I'm getting this right. Cause when I heard like muscles can't loosen and, can't tighten i was like hold the fuck on because i've also been a huge proponent of um manual massage therapy being such yeah. a relieving thing for my chronic pain and yeah. then to understand that well the the masseuse is pushing on a muscle indicating to your brain like let go breathe through this and it's me actually doing it and not yep. a person manipulating my mouth. You know what I'm saying? Please explain it better in a way. Yeah. So I love sound like a fucking cuckoo bird. <laughs> no, I love the way you said that. Cause like what I would say, like the people who I respect the most in my field, aren't the ones like me who don't, who just don't do hands-on treatment at all. People who I respect the most in our field mm. are the ones who deliver those hand-on treatments that I rag on all the time, but do it from this biopsychosocial perspective of pain and deliver those treatments that people do want with accurate, up-to-date pain science-based explanations, not explanations that make people think that we could just hold their body together with tape and glue. Like, Because both of these things can be true. <laughs> Contextual factors can be v largely responsible for the outcomes of those treatments, but you can also still deliver them and just be honest about that and communicate that in a way where you can still use those patients can still value them and you can do that. And that'll allow you to avoid making people feel like a fragile pile of paper clips. You know what I'm saying? So with, yes. with what you said there about how like you can't tighten and loosen muscles. Um, but like, I would still say massage therapy is still incredibly useful. Like some of my favorite providers are evidence-based massage therapists and what I would say to that is like, first of all, thank God we can't with our own hands loosen or um, <laughs> tighten muscles because then you could just freaking, I mean, think about if a massage therapist <laughs> massage goes wrong. What if they loosen you up too much? You try to walk out of the, out of the yeah, office and your arm's like an elephant's trunk just dangling there. Like, oh, now we got to tighten it back up. Like, that's just not how muscles actually actually work. And, and if it did work that way, maybe there would be a positive because then you think about like scoliosis, like we mentioned them earlier. Um, scoliosis surgery, I mean, scoliosis itself, it wouldn't even be a thing anymore. Cause if, if that's how spines and bones and muscles worked, if you could just tighten the loose ones and loosen the tight ones to pull on things the way you want them to, well, then you could just do that wherever you need to on a person with scoliosis back and just tighten it up up here and loosen up up there and it'll straighten itself out. Mm -hmm. But obviously that's not how any of that works. Cause that stuff all still definitely exists. Um, so what, what it seems to be again is it has much more to do with your nervous system, massage therapy, rather than like how it's structurally mm -hmm. changing you. And we see mm -hmm. like people go into that expecting like, oh, I'm so tight. I got to get my muscles loosened up. 
But I think the tightness or the hardness or the stiffness of the muscle is not really the problem. Again, it's a nervous system thing. And they've done studies where they look too, and they look at like, we always love to talk about the traps. Everybody's like, I store all my stress in my traps, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some people will say that just because they mm-hmm. touch their traps and they feel hard, right? And what they do, what mm-hmm. is super great with some of these studies is they'll look at those trap muscles and you would think, right, just based on our societal understanding of pain and discomfort, the harder spots would probably be the most painful because we associate that stiffness, hardness, tightness mm-hmm. with pain, discomfort, tension. Tight. But what yeah. they find is there's no, there was no correlate. In some people, the softest spots were the most painful and they had no problem at the areas that were the actual hardest to touch. And it just, it didn't seem to have to do with tissue hardness or tissue softness. And if that's true, then what's mm. actually going on with massage therapy? Are we, is it, do people feel better because they're, tight and hard and stiff muscles got released and now they're loose and and flimsy and relaxed no it's because you lay down on the table with a person you trust for an hour in a quiet room and you de-stress and you took some time to breathe and you're doing something that's perceived as healthy and positive for yourself that's usually what makes people feel better in those instances not like something being that's fucked up in your body that's being fixed again it's and we talk about how the role of the brain and cognitions with pain it's that's what brings a lot of the relief too. It's a lot of that context type stuff around the treatment rather than anything that it changes in your body. So what is, Oh my gosh, I Aaron, we have not even (laughs) gone through a quarter of the questions and we have 15 minutes. So I'm going to speed demon through some of these because I need, I need, I need like a rapid fire round, but I don't want to miss anything super, super important. So explain to me what, we think like a knot is in our back and like, what is it actually? And I know you sure. kind of just touched on this, like tightness, softness, yeah, but it's like similar. Why, why do we believe in knots? <laughs> so the fast version is what we know is true about them is people get uh, sore spots on their bodies and people who have mm-hmm. um, persistent pain conditions like fibromyalgia tend to have a lot of them. Um, that's true. People get mm-hmm. spots that hurt. What, is definitely not proven to be true and um, very questionable is, are they trigger points? Are they physical palpable um, like balls or knots of muscle that have tightened up and need to be released or removed or rubbed out or fixed? That part is, that's much less clear. So we, yeah, people get sore spots. Yeah, for some people, it feels good to rub them. Does that mean that it was a knot that you untied in the muscle? No, it just means it felt good to rub a sore spot. And I think the value in saying that is, again, I I like clearing up these myths for the people who have the worst of these problems, which is like in the case of fibromyalgia, mm-hmm. I don't want that myth to persist because I don't want people with fibromyalgia to look at their body and feel like it is covered in, uh, you know, it's it's they feel like their body's betraying them because why is my muscle tying itself in knots all over me? It's like everything's seizing up on me. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you definitely have sensitivity in a lot of different areas, but I don't want to give you the perception that it's because your, your body structures are betraying you and that your body is shit. I know that's not always the most helpful thing, but it's like mm. one thing that is conducive to recovery and something that I have to clear up with a lot of people with fibromyalgia mm. when I'm working with them as patients. So no. So yeah, you get sore spots, but no, they're not actual yeah. physical, literal knots. I can't wait to 
for this podcast to be over so that I can book an appointment with you and become <laughs> a patient and take all your juicy advice because I, I, yes, I'm in the thick of it. So here's the other thing that I brought that you're going to laugh at. Please hold. Have you ever seen one of these? And I'm what wearing a weighted shoulder vest that my boyfriend's chiropractor gave him because his shoulders were so uneven. This thing's probably like 20, uh, 30 pounds. And is it's the idea that it's supposed to pull in the other down. No. Uh, I'm so <laughs> depressed. And when I tell you, when I tell you, I, you literally might have like re TikTok stitched a TikTok with the guy that maybe we might have been seeing out here in Los Angeles. I'm dying because he also had one of those like neck head pulley systems that he makes you do against the door every day. Oh, and then God. I'm supposed to be wearing this to help even out my head tilt because I have a head tilt that goes like this. So I'm counter weighting my. So my question is does this do anything? And why not? <laughs> I mean, no. Like, for like, first of all, it's just so ridiculous because, like, the entire rationale behind that is so insanely misguided. And that practitioner would know that if you just read, like, two papers, you'll know that. Like, humans are asymmetrical. We lean different directions where nobody – like, yeah, on the surface, if you stand and looking at me 20 yards away, I might look kind of symmetrical. But when you get up close – I got a shoulder that's higher than the other. I got a nose that's crooked. I got one foot that's arched more than the other. Fucking my nipples aren't the same height. Like it's different for everybody. <laughs> and when we, this is pathologizing normality is what this is. And when we do that, when we blame someone's pain on structural findings that mm. are normal, that everyone has, just think mm. of the cascading mess and horrible fucking confusion mm -hmm. and problems that creates because one, that person who now thinks that their problem is because they're uneven, they need to fix that, right? One, they're going to look around at all the other people who have that same type of unevenness or more unevenness who don't have pain and be quite confused by that. One. Two, right. they're going right. to put time and effort into trying to now fix their physical structure, which one, they don't really have the ability to do. So they're setting up for failure. And they're going to blame themselves for that because they mm -hmm. didn't work hard enough on it or their body is just too fucked up to change. So that's a problem. Um, three, mm -hmm. to try and change those things physically, which again is in most cases just not even possible. Um, you're going to take that painful body part and now just spend countless amounts of time trying to force it into a position that it's just naturally not going to go into. That can be quite aggravating and uncomfortable. And four, you're going to think about that unevenness every <laughs> fucking time you look in the mirror, every time you feel your pain. And just like when you talk with Rachel, attention, your attentional bias, the attention we give certain things like that, that influences pain. And if mm -hmm. I tell you that you have the pain because of the structure, mm -hmm. every time you see that that unevenness, I mean, you've got that association. Five, like I, I don't even know what number I'm on. One, three, five, I don't know. I, these myths also <laughs> add to people's people's insecurities just about their body. Like this is just even a separate topic from pain in and of itself. Like how are we going to take somebody who's in pain and it, who wants to be helped and bring them into our office and point out seven different things that we're going to make them think is fucked up about their body that they weren't even aware of before. And now they're even more self-conscious about, I didn't even fucking know my shoulder was up there like that. That's too bad. Like I had a guy who I worked with 
who literally like he because his his neck would kind of hunch a little bit and his upper back was a little bit more rounded his chiropractor made him feel so self-conscious about that and made it sound like such a big problem even though it was quite normal that throughout his entire career in high school he would not sit up straight in his desk not because um that he like didn't like sitting up straight but because he didn't want his classmates to see that rounding in his back when he'd sit so if he slouched low enough mm. in his chair they just wouldn't see his upper back and he would hide it under mm. his desk and he'd sit like that all the time wow. even if it was uncomfortable because of, of how fucking self-conscious he was made to feel like you can see how blaming pain on those normal deviations in normal structure mm -hmm. is such a huge fucking issue for so many reasons it's ridiculous like this is why i make those videos yep. you know so I hate that stupid whatever that thing was. I, I would encourage yeah. you to throw it away. <laughs> I hate it. I know. I, I brought out all my like fun tools like a Theragun, but then I left it in my bedroom because I was using it so much. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume that it falls under the same thing where like it feels good. And if it feels good, that's fine. You're not actually changing anything for the long term hall when you're using a theragun like it's not releasing the muscles the same way that i just, just talked about with like a massage therapist is that i just think that there's so many ways to give people that exact same potential feel good effect without making them feel like there's so many things that are wrong with them like you because there's other ways to do that and give people those things and give people tools to have that mm -hmm. without making them feel like mm -hmm. their body's fucked up and needs to be fixed and changed. Like that's, that's my thing. So like, yeah, right. like some of those treatments that I, I rip on can do that. But I, I say, why would you do it in a way that makes somebody feel like their body's all jacked up when you could just simply not, and you could still give them that same benefit a billion other different ways. Cause those effects are not exclusive to right. those treatments at all. So where where do, cause I have to assume, and there, this was in another, I think it was called like pain free for life book that I read, which it really turned me off. Like the title and like the, the look was just like, ew, it felt snake oily, but then everything he's saying in it is what we're talking about here, which mm. is like neuroplastic pain versus structural pain <clears throat> versus, um, the way we use our body's pain. Right. And he's like, you do have to eliminate some structure things before we get to the, like, you've just been conditioned to believe that you have a bulging disc and that like you physically see it when they use the spine in the doctor's office. And now you have this imagery of like your disc is bulging and that is perpetuating mm -hmm. the pain. What are like some structural things that we do want to make sure it isn't if if it is something that is chronically causing you pain, right? Like, yeah. for example, I'm thinking of like my boyfriend's sh shoulders. Like he does have one that's really high and one that's really low. And that just might be his spine. But if it's yeah. causing him really debilitating pain, what structural mm -hmm. things do we need to go through before saying this is biopsychosocial? Well, all pain is biopsychosocial first and foremost. But also I would say, <laughs> so like uh, our... I would determine that based on like, if we are going to focus on this structural thing, for me, it has to change management and care. So the reason I, I always point out like mm. the disc bulge example is because like, why would I harp on that or tell somebody it's the cause of their pain when one, I, I have no way of knowing if it is or not. We don't have the ability technologically to do that. But two, it wouldn't change my management. Mm. 
even whether whether that is the source of, of pain or nociception or not, it wouldn't change the way I would treat. So why would I make them make their whole world about a disc bulge when it's not going to influence my clinical decisions? Mm. I don't need to put that burden on them. Um, so mm. like if I even if mm. like somebody feels like their problem is their uneven shoulders, that's not going to change the way that I would treat their mm. shoulder or neck or upper back pain. So I'm not going to put the focus on that. Examples mm. of when that type of structural information would change care. If somebody needs like an ACL reconstruction, if, um, if you have a herniated disc that. with an actual nerve root compression, so there's a difference there. Like you can have a herniated disc and have pain, but not objective nerve root compromise. So like if you're making a surgical decision and saying like surgery is the right call for a nerve root compression, you need to see objective signs like mm -hmm. um, muscle atrophy, the muscles starting to disappear, loss of strength, you can't move mm. the body part, um, progressive debilitating radiating pain that's like in concordance with those other objective symptoms. For us to make decisions based off structure, we need those objective things. And when they're not there, we can't assume the structure is the problem. And if we do do that, if we make that mistake, mm. that's when you see all of these surgeries where people go in and try to correct the structural problem and they don't get any better. It's because they had pain mm -hmm. and they had that structural thing, but it wasn't that pain is being caused necessarily by it. We need some of those more objective signs to say this needs to be fixed. I would also encourage everyone to go look at failed back surgery syndrome, where now oh, they're God. saying more back surgeries are hurting people than helping people where literally like the the politics and the scamming happening between doctors who refer to this person who gets a kickback who gets to this person and and the damage it's actually doing for people's chronic pain with like as someone who literally has had three surgeries to correct a chronic pain and i am today right. in when i when i check in the most pain i've ever been in I will preach to not do surgery unless you are literally like going to be paralyzed or are paralyzed because I firmly believe in trying every fucking thing else, no matter how crazy it sounds. And I do lean into some of the woo woo witchy energy shit, which like we can talk about, but like what surgery is something that like you really can't go back from, but also if not to fear, if you have had surgery like me, which I know a lot of people that have and spoonies that have, it doesn't mean you are also doomed forever from a failed surgery or, or, um, not getting better from or a surgery that helped for a little bit and then got worse again. Like, I like what you said about it, not changing your treatment, your clinical treatment, because that's what I kind of wanted to get to is like, what is your treatment? Like <laughs> I see you focusing a lot on like, I don't know. What would you call it? You explain it. I'm not going to guess you're right here. You say it. <laughs> my, my approach to care. So, um, like I said, I'd say 99% of my patients currently um, are people dealing with some type of persistent pain um, in some area of their body or multiple areas um, for a variety of reasons. So the way I generally approach it is first, it's my first session with people is always an hour, hour and a half of me just listening. I don't think you can, with something as biopsychosocially mm -hmm. oriented as pain, I don't think you can actually help somebody until you kind of know them and know what that pain means to them and how it's affected them and how it's changed things for them and what they're missing out on and what they care about, their goals, what they want to get back to, all these things. Like, um, So the first 
time I, I work with somebody, I'm just learning. And when I'm doing that, I'm listening to their full story um, and then asking more questions about it. I'm making a list of everything that I hear them say that I think could be a contributing factor. And because that's the biggest thing when it comes to pain, we always use that term biopsychosocial, but what the fuck does that actually mean? It means all pain is multifactorial. <laughs> it can never be just one thing. All pain has multiple contributing factors that kind of play into the situation. So if we want to come up with a good approach to care, we should get us some sense of what some of those contributors might be and list them out as best we can. So that's what I'm doing when I'm listening to people is saying, oh, maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's part of it and make a nice long list of, of potential contributors. And then what I do on the next session, on the next session is I take that list and the whole timeline that they've kind of given me. And I try to um, organize myself a little bit to give my perspective on how we might make sense of the situation. The only reason I do that is because like I said, it is mostly people with persistent pain. And when you've been in that situation, that usually includes months to years mm -hmm. of seeing multiple different clinicians being given multiple different explanations, lots of confusion, lots of, mm -hmm. I thought it was this, now I think it's this, trying lots of treatments. And by the time people yeah. talk to me, it's they're usually pretty confused. And, and usually they're like, I just don't know what the fuck's going on anymore. So I think it's a useful starting point mm -hmm. to find some way to reach a mutual understanding of how are we going to make sense of this if we're going to proceed from here with some type of approach. So I tie together all those contributing factors. I tie them into the whole timeline and their story that they lay out and try to kind of make sense of it with them. And we talk it through. Once we feel like we're on the same page, I'll literally list out those contributors and I say, all right, we need to figure out, these are all the things that could potentially be contributing to your pain. So if we're going to try and help you positively influence your pain, doing something good that can positively influence anything on this list might lead to small or significant progress in your recovery. So what would be most meaningful for you to address now? And what would be easiest to start with? And what would be most pragmatic to start with? And what would give you um, the most value, the most you know, sense of progress or hope? Like those are the things I try to focus on when we're deciding where do we want to start on here? Like for some people, it's getting back into some activity they've been missing out on for some people. Um, you know, it's just for some people they recognize that like anxiety or depression was playing a much larger role into their pain than they ever would have imagined even possible. So like, I haven't been getting help for that. Maybe I should like, there's a lot of different directions you can go, which is why no two cases that I ever really work with are, are the same, but that is my approach in a nutshell is list out as many contributing factors as possible because that gives us as many good options as possible. And then we figure out from there, okay, what can we do to positively influence this? And then also put that in a frame of self-management because I want people, like we talked about with my bio, it's about empowering people and working with them, not on them. I don't know if there's much value in me telling you what to do, but helping you find ways to take care of yourself mm -hmm. and take matters into your own hands and get mm -hmm. a little bit of control back. Cause that's what a lot of people with persistent pain Mm -hmm. are missing out on the most is a sense of control over their life. Um, you want to reinstill that by taking a self-management approach. So that's kind of what we do. I know that's super ambiguous, but that is, that is kind of the game in a nutshell. Nope.
unless you're watching this on youtube.com slash Kelsey Dara, you can't see. I feel like one of those dodo bird like figurines that just dip their head in water <laughs> because I'm nodding so much with everything you're saying of just like, yes, anding the shit out of that. And like, I love something that Dr. Rachel said on the podcast where she was always talking about like with. Uh, with chronic and sometimes even acute pain, mm-hmm. less acute, maybe I shouldn't have said that, always with chronic pain, avoiding the thing and being afraid of movement is not going to help. Like right. the more you retreat from movement with chronic pain, the more you will stay away from relief because we are treating our bodies like these frail, fragile, band-aided things. And, you know, weakness is the the word we get stuck and the fear we get stuck into our heads and then we automatically are self-perpetuating like avoidant behaviors and so whenever i'm like fuck my knee is really hurting i had acl and two meniscus surgeries i'm like staying off of this isn't actually what's going to help it is needing to like go for a walk so whenever i'm like feeling an achy knee i'm like i'm going to then go for a walk and like challenge my brain's thought of i shouldn't do this behavior. And I know that you also talk a lot about that sort of, um, Oh my gosh, it's over one o'clock. I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm I realize good. I need to probably wrap this up. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> oh, you're okay. Okay. Yeah. I will. I'll let that be our last question of like, I know you've done some TikToks about don't avoid working the muscle that hurts. And can you explain like why that that's well, so. Yeah, that and the, one thing I want to mention there too is I want to encourage people like exercise is, is a good thing and it's a good part. It's a good thing to use for pain care and treatment, but it's not the end all be all. And I've got patients who I don't use exercise with. If to me, it's more about it's more about the mm. engagement piece and getting people back to things rather than just exercise in and of itself. Um, like like for example, a case recently. Uh, I even posted about it a little bit on my Instagram, but I had a, there's a young lady I'm working with who. Um, has persistent pain in both of her wrists and a little bit in her hands. Um, and she's a piano player. So like for her, our initial treatment plan was for her. I, I blanked on it when I made the Instagram post, I'm blanking on it now. It's from the fray. It's their biggest album with like over, over my head and with like how to save a life. But I can't remember what that album was. It might've been self-titled the fray. I don't know, but her initial (laughs) treatment plan was to learn that entire album on piano and then I also put in one of my own favorite songs uh, in there that she had to learn from me too, because I thought that would be fun, and that was ended up being the first thing she learned. Cause she wanted to show me, <laughs> but like she's now Aww. halfway through that yeah. album um, after not playing piano for the last seven months, and it's only been a month. And the whole point in pointing that out is, wow, that's not exercise necessarily. It's playing piano, but the reason we chose that intervention is because remember we're going after contributing factors, and we made a list together. And we, she even had the idea, but she proposed it. And I said, that's great because look at how many contributing factors you're checking off with that one intervention, right? She, it it had a sentimental meaning because that, I guess her and her dad, like that album meant something to the two of them. They went to the concert together when they were on the tour for that album, right? And her dad passed away. And then, so she loves a lot of those songs. And then another contributing factor she kind of pointed out when she's preparing for recitals or auditions or big performances, her pain seems to be a lot worse. So let's not do any of those types of songs or let's not do any of that type of training. Let's just do something that you enjoy playing. So that was another one. And then the re-engagement piece, like her avoidance was a contributor. So just getting her back on the piano again, that checks another box. Like there's, 
you always want to go after the things that check as many of those possible factors off that list as possible because what's that going to do is mm-hmm. have, have the biggest potential for an effect on on your symptoms so that was what that was kind of the whole rationale behind right. why we did that so i i want to just point that out because i think good pain treatment isn't going to be like trying to get somebody to exercise the pain away because anybody living with persistent pain knows you mm-hmm. can't just exercise it away um, and if it is an exercise intervention, right. it should be given with the intent of um, addressing contributing factors and, and giving people meaning back in their lives, not necessarily just given with the intent of, oh, because you need to exercise or, oh, because we need to get stronger or more flexible or whatever. Because again, mm-hmm. like, look at that. Those are structural um, rationales given for exercise prescription, but we know pain is not purely mm-hmm. structural. So why would, how would that make any sense then? Like people don't get out of pain just because they got stronger, right? It, it has to do with going after some mm-hmm. of those broader factors um, with treatment. I don't even know if I answered your question, but I felt like that was important to say. Yeah, you did. That's I don't even <laughs> honestly remember what it was, but you answered it because everything you've said here today is so important. And I I cannot stress enough how much the confidants need to go right now look you up on TikTok and instagram follow especially people that live with pain with chronic pain know people in their lives with pain and chronic pain because i feel like it's something i want to like shout from the rooftops every time i learn something new from you and read one of like the papers you recommend so please aaron tell us where can the confidants find you if they want to learn more about you or even potentially work with you um, it's Aaron Kubal. It's Aaron underscore Kubal on all the social media stuff. I think some of my handles have DC at the end and some of them don't, I don't know, but if you type that in, you'll find me. And then, um, I don't really do a lot of DMS stuff. Most of the time I, I do, I'm a little better on Instagram DM, <laughs> but I've given up on TikTok. Um, so if people really need to reach me. Uh, it's Aaron Kubal DC at gmail.com for my email. Um, no underscores, no periods, no slashes, just Aaron Kubal DC. Um, and I'm really good about responding to email if people need to actually reach out to me. So, yeah. Well, you'll be getting an inbox from your friend, Kelsey Dara pretty soon here. Uh, absolutely interested in, in knowing more about like the way you help and, and treat people. And I think what you're doing is so important and blah, blah, blah. Compliments, compliments, compliments. Um, you're stuck with me. You're my friend now forever. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. And thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. This was super, super fun. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Coffee Dots. Don't forget to rate this five stars. Everything Aaron talked about will be linked below. All of his socials and good stuff. And we will see you next week. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.